Today, I want you to think about how much you talk. How much do you speak in a day? Studies have shown that almost everyone speaks more than 7,000 words every day. Many speak more than 20,000. Most average around 16,000 words every day. Now, perhaps surprisingly, that actually goes for both men and women. There's very little difference. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> but anyway, I read some thoughts from one communication expert this week who encourages people to think on yesterday and the words that you said then and to ask these three questions. How many of the words that you spoke yesterday showed you to be a confident communicator? Second, how many of those words that you spoke yesterday made a difference to those around you? A positive difference. And third, how many of those words served little or no purpose at all? Well, those can be some sobering questions, right, to consider, especially since Jesus said that we will give account for every careless word we speak. But I want to give you another question, an additional question to consider this morning, and that is how much of your words... Or how much of, really, if you think about what words are, how much of what came out of your lungs, ran across your voice box, came out of your mouth, you're getting shaped by your mouth, your lips, your tongue, how, many of that, how much of that could be considered worship? Worship, the, the most noble and important form of verbal communication of all. How much of what we speak, how much of what we sing is focused on or focused to God? I invite you to grab a Bible, if you haven't already, and open up to Psalm 28 with me. Psalm 28. Now, today we are resuming the series of messages we started 2020 with on worshiping God. However, it's been over a month since I've preached in this series. So... Just a bit of review, where we've been. We started out by talking about how worship would actually be impossible without Jesus, right? without the gospel. How Christ dying and rising allows us to come into God's presence to respond to him. Next, we considered what should shape our worship, what determines how we worship. And the only right answer to this is the word of God. How scripture should permeate our worship, shaping our preaching, our praising, everything. The following week, we talked about worshiping as part of a community, as the family of God, and how our worship really is to focus on both the Lord horizontally and, or vertically, and each other horizontally. And then, finally, I spoke to you about how worship needs to come from our hearts. How when we see who God is, that should lead to wholehearted worship and love from us. And what's going on inside of us is far more important to God than any kind of outward shows or duties that we can perform or words that we say. So then, that raises the question, if our hearts are really what matter in worship, then why bother with words? Really, why bother? Why praise out loud? Why sing? 
Why pray? Why verbalize? I mean, outside of the fact that praise the Lord or sing to the Lord is either the most or the second most repeated command in the entire Bible, along with do not be afraid. So besides sheer obedience to God's commands, why should we worship with our voice? Why, and why does God want our mouths praise and not just our heart's affection? Now, the simple answer, the very short answer to these questions, I think can be found in Jesus' words, that out of the abundance of the heart or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? That means that if your mouth is not speaking praise of God, praise is not very likely in your heart. Oh, you can sing praise without your heart being engaged, that's for sure, and that's why I talked about your heart being of prime importance first, right? But it doesn't go the other way around. You cannot have a heart that's full of love for God and not have that come out of you. Now, there are many ways we can worship the Lord, of course, and we always run the risk of equating worship with singing alone. However, there's got to be reasons why one of the absolute primary ways to worship in Scripture is through song. And so I want to focus in on that today and focus on singing in worship. And this is why I've taken us to Psalm 28, and we'll go to Romans 15 as well in a bit, because these passages talk about us using our voices to praise the Lord. So let's first listen in on what David said in Psalm 28. Emphasis on said, because this was a song sung out loud by David and meant for others to sing as well. These were not just words that were written down to be read. They were vocal, audible lyrics. Okay? And he says this, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. Be my, my rock. Be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now, even in those first two verses, do you notice all the references to either speaking or hearing? Right? To, to you I call, be not deaf or silent, hear the voice of my pleas. I cry to you. Like there's clearly this communication going on between David and the Lord. And notice that it wasn't meant to be just a one-sided conversation either. David is begging God to respond to him. Which we know that God was actually doing. He was hearing and speaking at that moment. In verse 6, which we're going to get to, David declares, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. And we know that God had already spoken in the past, and he would do so again, not to mention that, ironically, God was speaking through David right then, inspiring him to say these words, which become part of his holy word. And I think this tells us something about how or why we should use our voices 
to worship the Lord. That is, we worship God with our voices as a reflection of who he is. It's part of our response to him and what he has said and what he has done. God is not silent or deaf or inactive, so neither should we be. We worship God with our voices as a reflection of who he is. Think back to the very beginning of human existence. We were created in the image of God. And what that means is that we were meant to reflect him, to be like him. And God is a speaking, relational, communicating God. Animals in our world have all kinds of ways to, to talk or communicate between each other. But no one would deny that our communication as humans is clearly on another higher level. Right? And, and I think that's part of our imaging God. It sets us apart. God speaks, and therefore we speak. He wants to speak to us, and he wants us to speak to him. Ephesians 5.1 tells Christians to be imitators of God as beloved children. One of the ways we do this, from that very same chapter, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. God is a speaking God. On the same note, he's also a singing God. In Zephaniah, Right after, the prophet tells God's people to sing aloud and shout and rejoice, by the way. It says this about God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I've been reading The Magician's Nephew to my kids lately, part of C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, and in it, a few people get transported into Narnia just as that world is being created. And they listen, awestruck, as Aslan, the, the God figure there, sings the world into existence. And it says, I quote, with a voice that seemed to come from all directions at once, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise they'd ever heard. And then the first thing that they could see being created, the stars sang back to the first voice, it says, which had made them appear and made them sing. After that, you know the first thing that Aslan did to some of the creatures he made? Gathered them around himself, and he made them talking creatures. Made them speak. And this is very much what God has done to our world and to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the sky above proclaims his handiwork, and we're meant to join in their song. Songwriters Keith and Kristen Getty explain that we are a singing people because it is how God has created us. It's what we do. We are all singers. We may not all be very good singers, but we are all created to be singers nonetheless. 
We are created to sing because it leads us joyfully to the great singer, creator of the heavens and earth. Our singing should sound like him, look like him, and lead our hearts to him. Don't sing primarily because you love singing or keep quiet because you do not. Sing because you love who made you and formed you and enables you to sing. This is why David sings out in Psalm 28. He knows his creator's love and care. And he knows how hopelessly lost he'd be without it. So he says, My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. Like, notice, why did he want God to hear him? It's so God wouldn't be silent. It's interesting, right? He wants a response. From God. For just as the voice of God brought life itself to creation, David knows that if God's voice disappeared, it might as well mean death. How do you feel when you're talking to someone and they don't respond to you? Did you hear me? No response. Like check if they have headphones on. No, okay, you get angrier, right? Are you deaf? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you answering me? Talk to me. Here's some good news. God is never like this with us. And he never is deaf to our voices. Oh, like David, we may feel like he doesn't hear us at times, but he does. And he always answers in one way or another. Even when we don't hear him speaking back to us, the fact of the matter is, he spoke first. Right? He initiated the conversation. Usually, we're the ones not responding to his voice, not the other way around. So when we hear David's cries, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy, we can take comfort in the Lord's eventual response, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now you might wonder as we read this why David says he lifts up his hands in verse 2. The simple answer is that our bodies can also express our heart's posture. So David was lifting up his hands as really an expression of desperation, asking for help, just like a child might lift their hands up to their parents when they need help. So why was David feeling such a need for help from God? Look at verse 3. He prays, Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Many times in David's life, he was oppressed by wicked people, from Goliath to Saul to Absalom, among many others. And his life was often in danger, hanging in the balance, And in many Psalms, David asked God to save him and to judge or repay his enemies. Something that, by the way, God promised to do. 
and is totally right for God to do. Even as Christians are now commanded to love and pray for our enemies, it's not wrong to ask God to do what he has always promised to do. And David was confident that God was going to answer this prayer. In verse 5, Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Notice something really quickly, though, in verse 3. It's interesting. David's focus is still on speech. You see that? Do not drag me off of the wicked, the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. So the wicked have evil in their hearts, and that leads to evil in their speech. Lies, in this case. And this is clearly meant to give a contrast between evil speech and godly speech. While the wicked are lying with their mouths and plotting evil in their hearts, David's praying to God, praising him, and trusting him and rejoicing in him in his heart. Look at verse 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The verse right before this, in verse 6, is obviously the turning point in this psalm. Up till that point, David is praying for help, for deliverance, but now, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The tension's been resolved. God has heard his voice. Maybe David saw his prayer answered before his eyes. Maybe not yet. You don't know. But, he was confident that his voice had been heard in heaven's courts. Well, you think, well, how could he know that? How can, how can we be sure that God hears? Tim Keller comments on this verse. And he says, Perhaps God sent David a special revelation that his exact request would be answered. We have no such access. But... When we make our requests known to God, we can do something like this. We can thank him ahead of time for giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. God is good. We can trust him. We can thank him ahead of time. Because of his goodness, we pray and sing to him. Now, the fact that God is a speaking God should inspire us to respond to him with our voices. However, this doesn't explain fully why we should sing as opposed to just speaking. Right? Like, what, what's the difference? What sets singing apart from speaking? Why not just read or recite or chant praise? Like, why should we use music? Why should we exercise our vocal cords in order to sing? Well, there's something about music, isn't there, that engages more than just our mouths. There's something about music that, that grabs our attention, that informs our minds, that, that moves our emotions, that excites our spirits, that helps stir our memory. I know that almost every one of us could quote more song lyrics than Bible verses. Why is that? 
Because there's an inherent power in music to move us in certain ways. As the Gettys put it, God designed our psyche for singing. When singing praise to God, so much more than just the vocal box is engaged. God has created our minds to judge pitch and lyric, to think through the concepts we sing, to engage the intellect, imagination, and memory, and to remember what is set to a tune. God has formed our hearts to be moved with depth of feeling and a whole range of emotion as the melody carried truths of who God is and whose we are sink in. Did you catch that last part? God has formed our hearts to be moved by singing. And that's another great reason why we should be committed to worship with our voice, our voices. We worship God with our voice or our voices as an expression of our changed hearts. We worship God with our voices and as an expression of our changed hearts. It's another way to put it. We can sing without changed hearts, like I talked about earlier, like we can mouth words, right? But I believe we cannot have changed hearts and not sing. We can't help it. David's heart was certainly a heart that had been changed and shaped by God. For instance, at the start of Psalm 28, he recognized his need for God. As we saw, he prays, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. Now that is not something we usually naturally feel on our own. We want to do life on our own. We are prideful. We're independent. We don't want anything to do with God. And so for David to to recognize his need for God's mercy means that God had been working on his heart. And that leads him to cry out to God with his voice. Let me ask you, have you ever recognized your desperate need for God's mercy? And it's just just as desperate as David here. And it's not just for mercy to help you through tough situations and life's troubles. Have you seen the need for mercy from your own sin and your own personal evil? Because we all desperately need that. And at the same time, God graciously gives it. See, on our own, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are set against God, filthy with sin. But God didn't want to leave us to our fate of being treated like his enemies. So he sent his son, Jesus, as one of us, yet to live a perfect life that we didn't. And then to to die the death that we all deserved as God's enemies. And then he rose to offer us new life and a a new relationship with God and and access to God's presence forever. That's mercy, that we can worship him, that we can come before him like we were designed to do. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of God of our pleas for mercy, in our case, long before we were even alive to voice them. 
you have never cried out to the Lord for mercy before, asking him to save you, we believe that you have to reach that place in your life where you call on the name of Jesus to save you, or else he will end up just giving you your wish to not be saved by him. I hope and pray that you would do this today. If you need help, please come speak to us. This is the, the core of what we are here as a church for, to give you this message, this good news of Jesus. It's the only thing that will change your life for the better. And once we have been heard by God and thus saved, it should automatically lead to thankful praise. Praise from changed hearts, as it did for David. Look at the end, verse 6, or towards the end. It says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Have you received mercy from God? Has God cleansed your heart? Have your sins been washed away? Have you been forgiven? Has God changed your heart to actually want him and his ways? Has, has God paid attention to your pathetic little voice? Has he answered your prayer? Has he become your strength, your shield, like strength to follow, a shield of protection from harm? Has he sent his Holy Spirit as your helper? Is he your saving refuge? The Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. If so, have you noticed? Are you thankful And do you tell him so? Psalm 116 sings, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. That psalm goes on to ask, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. So what can we do to give back to the Lord for all that he has done for us? It says praise him, right? Thank him, call on his name, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Sounds a lot like Hebrews 13, doesn't it? Where it says, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So why does God want this vocal praise from us? John Bloom asked the same question. He says, when God commands us to praise him, what does he want? We know he's not after our empty lip service while our hearts wander off somewhere else. He's commanding us to look at him through what he has revealed to us about himself, 
until we see some aspect of his glory that transcends the paltry or corrupt things clamoring for our attention right now. Glory that produces an awe-filled joy we can't help but express in praise. Our delight-filled praise not only glorifies God and gives him pleasure, but also lovingly points others to the same glory we're seeing and the same delight we're feeling because we always praise to others what delights us. God is commanding us to love him, love others, and be happy. That part that we are always praising to others what delights us is so true. We always praise whatever delights us. I bet you cannot go a week, not even a day, without praising anything at all. Right? In the last month, just thinking through my days, the last month, while not hopefully worshiping these things, I have praised all kinds of things. I've, I've praised meals and nice weather, sports teams, Disney World rides, right? kids' good behavior, TV shows, books, songs, good meetings with people, friends, impressive technology, funny videos, my wife, Interesting articles I read, board games, jobs well done, my bed, and, and last week's retreat with the young adults. Right? Like, I can't help but tell others what I appreciate and delight in. How much more does Jesus deserve our praise? Our daily praise, our hourly gratitude to him. Praise helps remind us of how much greater he is than anything else. And it helps point others to the only place they're going to find such goodness and greatness. I shared another quote with you from the Gettys a few weeks ago, but it also fits here. He said, the root of true thankfulness is the gratitude in our hearts for the unmerited benefits of God's goodness in our lives. It is hard, impossible in fact, to sing what you are excited about in your spirit and grateful for in your heart in a way that is tepid, tentative, and withdrawn. Deeply felt thankfulness produces a sound from our voices that is robust and enthusiastic. If it doesn't, then you have to wonder like, if our hearts really have been changed. So, David's voice expressed his need for God. It expressed his praise to God. We can also see David's voice here expressing his trust, his continuing dependence on God. As he states in verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. And then he prays in verse 9, O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This trust and dependence is yet another sign of a heart changed by God. That prayer in verse 9 is also a great prayer for us to pray. Save your people, bless your heritage, be our shepherd, carry us forever. Like we saw in Psalm 23, we are like sheep in constant need of a shepherd's care. So praise the Lord that He is our shepherd. And that he will carry us forever. Like surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life.
before going any further, I want to take us over to Romans 15 in the New Testament. So please, if you would turn over there with me, Romans 15. If worshiping with our voice is an expression of our changed heart, then this is more true than ever for us who have been saved by Jesus. He has proven himself once and for all as the saving refuge for his people. And the key expression we're going to see here in Romans 15, the key expression of our changed hearts is our unity, also described as harmony, a musical term. Uh, Read with me, starting in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul prays here that, that God would grant his people great harmony. But So this is something that he gives us, he grants us as a gift. We're dependent on his grace for this. But once we have it, then the goal of such unity is to worship God. They, may he grant you such harmony that together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I believe that God has largely given us a wonderful unity here at Calvary. We've got to pray hard for God to preserve that unity but I'm thankful. So if God has granted you and me harmony with each other through Jesus, then what we ought to do, it says, is to join our voices together to glorify God with one voice. The early church father Ignatius described singing a psalm with other believers and marveling at how it it blended all voices together caused one single, fully harmonious chant to arise. Young and old, rich and poor, women and men, slaves and free, all sang one single melody. All the inequalities of social life are here banished. Together we make up a single choir in perfect equality of rights and expression, whereby earth imitates heaven. The same is true today. When we blend our voices together, it's a beautiful thing. It expresses really a supernatural unity. And in so doing, we imitate heaven. Now, some of you here today have likely been slightly mortified this whole sermon. Maybe you don't sing. And so you feel guilty about that. That's you. Don't just try to muster up some extra gusto to sing. Go to Jesus and ask him to change your heart. And let that drive you to sing. But others of you maybe don't feel comfortable singing. Or you feel that you can't sing. But you can sing. 
Right? Everyone can sing in some way. It's like in the kids' movie Ratatouille. Chef Gusteau saying, anyone can cook. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not sure everyone is actually capable of cooking. But anyone can sing. Right? Babies can sing. The elderly can sing. Sick people can sing. Deaf people can sing. Mentally challenged people can sing. Maybe you can't sing well. Maybe you can't carry a tune in a bucket. That could be true. But you know what commands you'll never find in Scripture? Sing to the Lord the correct notes. Or stay on pitch. Or don't ever make mistakes. <laughs> They're not there. And now this is where it goes back to our hearts. If you love the Lord, he wants to hear you. He cares more about a, a tone-deaf person annoyingly trying to express their praise than a professionally trained musician singing perfectly for the wrong reasons. So sing anyway. Now some of you might still think, well, what if I don't enjoy singing or I don't want to sing? And I'm looking especially at you men, although it is for everyone. But what I'd say is, if for no other reason, if for no other reason, sing out of obedience to God and out of a desire to glorify him and to please him. Like, this is a command. And that's stating it very matter-of-factly, but I do believe it can become a very desirable thing for us. And I think we can see this here in Romans 15. The point that I'm going to leave you with is we worship God with our voices out of a desire to glorify him. Out of a desire to glorify him. This is the ultimate reason that we worship God with our voices, out of a desire to please, to glorify him. As we saw, the goal of unity is unified praise. But the goal of unified praise is God's glory. It says, may God grant you to live in such harmony that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our voices worshiping together brings glory to God. It talks him up and shows him off. More than just our singing glorify God, by the way, our gathering together, our uniting as a family glorifies him, even down to our welcoming one another. Look at verse 7. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, the motive is for the glory of God. This motive even underlies the gospel as a whole. Look at verse 8. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. So, in other words, like Christ came to earth to become a servant. Christ came as a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So this says that Jesus came first in order to fulfill God's promises, but also 
to secure glory for God from us. Like, think about that. Jesus lived, died, and rose so that you and I will glorify God. Our worship is that important. That God is that deserving of all our praise. By the way, glorify, praise, and sing are all basically treated as synonyms there in verse 9. They're all used to refer to the same act of worshiping God. But notice here, most importantly, why we sing. Beginning of verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God's mercy gives us endless reasons to sing to him alone. At the end of the day, we wonder, why is singing so important? Because God is so merciful. Right? That's the end. Like, if we have his mercy, we shouldn't be able to help but glorify him. I thank God so often for a church that sings. Whenever we have guests from other churches, say a guest speaker or friends from out of town, probably the most frequent comment I hear afterwards is, man, you've got a church that knows how to sing. I love it. Now, I don't say that to boost our egos at all. There's still tons of room for growth. I say this to encourage you and to affirm that this is something admirable. And we should do it all the more, but not for our own reputation, but for the reputation of our great God. In our homes, in our church, in our city, and in our world. As you think about how to apply this, whether you're moved to, to sing more in your homes, in your personal devotions, or your family devotions, to, in your car, shower, sing with your friends or in your small group, or you just to sing more here with your church family, to make the effort, to make the priority, I had implore all of us to worship with our voices, to use them, to open our mouths more, to sing louder, to sing more often, to literally sing your heart out. May God grant us the harmony we need to keep on singing, to keep glorifying God with one voice until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer. And in your mercy and your grace, you would grant us harmony as a church family. You would unite our voices, unite our hearts, to praise your name, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.